0: TT, my thermostat and power bill tell me, like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you're using 20% less electricity than your neighbor. Mm. And I would always tell people, I'm not competitive, but baby, I want to be number one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to use so little electricity. I'm turning the lights off. I'm, I'm doing everything walking they around taught in us. The dark. I'm just shuffling around. I'm like, oh, is it high? <laughs> I will switch into a tank top. Okay. <laughs> I want to use so little electricity that they think this home is vacant.
1: Just so you can win. I want to win.
0: <laughs> I want to win. I am not ashamed. I want to win.
1: My friend's got the eye of the tiger.
0: I want to be the eco-friendly big boss. Okay? How did gamification sneak into my energy use and why is it
1: taking over my life? I'm TT and I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. Oh, oh. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. This week, we're talking all about games.
0: Specifically, we wanted to know more about the nature of games, the gamification of life, and the difference between the two. Because I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> you play a lot of games, though. I
1: do. You have a lot of games on your phone, and you play video games. Well, what
0: you? How do you know what's on my phone?
1: Back, 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 I back. Because I, I know you. <laughs> I've been knowing you for 45 years. It doesn't feel that long We're 90, okay
0: (laughs) Sometimes I play games I don't even realize I'm playing games But like crossword puzzles Those are kind of games Mm -hmm.
1: They're relaxing for me
0: Sudoku Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I send little notes in the mail I'll add a Sudoku If I know people are game friendly I know not to send you a Sudoku You don't like puzzles and things like that
1: No, I don't Like Wordle and things like that are okay But now they have things like Wordle Unlimited Where it's like wordle that's just never ending you can play a thousand wordle games back to back to back and i say no way (laughs) i can focus my energy for 30 minutes to get this one word but i'm not trying to keep going and going and going that's just going to stress me out yeah when it's done it's done it's done go remove yourself from my eyeballs
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get into the recitation We know TT,
1: well, we know that games have been a part of human life for a very long time.
0: Yes, this is not a very long time, but even when I was a kid, when I really reflect, you know, people in my family were playing games,
1: jacks with the ball and the little right jacks, dominoes. Yo, that's old school, but you know what? I always think of when I think of like early, early age sports, it's the Mayans. So the Mayans had this ball game. Mm. Have you ever heard of it? No, tell me. Girl, it's a rubber ball. And the size of the ball is like kind of like maybe a baseball size, I think. Okay. And then there's this stone ring that's on a wall. And the object of the game is to try and get it in there. But you can't use your hands. So you have to use other parts of your body. And this, this is it's like really high up. So they're using their backs. They're using their shoulders. They're using their heads. And so that is one of like the... First sports, I think that's been recorded, was from the Mayans, mm. which is really cool.
0: It really is. I hadn't heard of that before. Mm. Wow, and that's really far back. I thought you were gonna say like chess. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. You didn't want to see me in the third and fourth grade. Mm. I had a little board. I know it, you was
1: hustling people.
0: <sighs> I know it. I had some of my favorite stones. I always wanted to like. I had three or four. I always wanted in this one. Little cutout. Oh, my gosh. Mm. This is making me think of so many games we played growing up. Even hand games.
1: Yes. from
0: banky, banky. How many doctors did it
1: take? <laughs> <What was laughs> bubble it gum, bubble gum,
0: in the dish. <laughs> <laughs> Who was making that stuff up? I don't know. And how
1: was it spreading around so fast without social media? It felt like no matter where you were in the country, everybody knew these games.
0: How? Go to my cousins, go from North Carolina to Georgia to Mm -hmm. visit them. They know the games. Go visit my cousins up in New Jersey. They know the same hand games. They are singing the same nursery rhymes or whatever those things were.
1: How? Mm. They're just so embedded in our culture. Yeah. Game playing. Yes. It's a really great way to bond and connect with people. There are also a lot of apps out there than social media and services that have started incorporating games into them. Like the first thing I think of is the Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. That's a game. You know, it's tracking your steps, it's tracking your exercise, how much you're standing. And sometimes you're just competing with you so you can see what you've been doing for the last month. So it's still a game, but it's just one player. But then also you can link up with other people's Apple Watches. So then you have a multiplayer game. You can have challenges and all types of stuff like that.
0: Yes. My friends are competitive. I lose those challenges every time. Kate from our medals episode. No, really? Kate's closing her rings every day.
1: Okay. Well, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. How do you Kate. have so what many she doing? Hours, She's and stuff, though, up there getting better. <laughs>
0: Okay, you know, so you made a really good point, TT, that Mm -hmm. these apps and services are bringing in different elements of gaming, like point systems and achievements that unlock. Right. All of those are some of the foundational elements of gaming. But what else do we want to know?
1: I think it would be helpful to know or understand why we play games. I think pretty much everybody feels like they are open to playing games. But Mm -hmm. why is it that we do play games? What connections are we trying to make?
0: Yeah. And then I also think as we see the adoption of gamification, like, is that the same thing as games? Mm. Where do we draw the line between gamification and leveraging certain parts of it and actually being a game?
1: Yeah, a game or a trick. (laughs) Mm.
0: (laughs) I feel like that's a great starting point. There's probably so much we don't even know to ask.
1: Right. Trick or treat. Let's jump into the dissection.
0: Our guest for today's lab is Dr. T Nguyen.
2: My name is T Nguyen. I'm a associate professor of philosophy at University of Utah. I was supposed to be an expert on fairly conventional issues in epistemology and metaethics, like old school questions like, what is knowledge and what is the good? And now I've walked down some weird path where I am a philosophical expert on games, porn, trust, transparency metrics, Twitter and weird that I think uh, wasn't supposed to be part of my job description.
1: Professor Nguyen's book, Games Agency as Art, explores games as a specific and very special type of art form and argues that games are a central part of our systems of communication and our art.
0: We started with the basics and asked Professor Nguyen, what exactly is a game? My
2: favorite definition of a game is from this philosopher, Bernard Suits. The book is called The Grasshopper, Games, Life, and Utopia. And he tries to define a game, but the short version is that to play a game is to voluntarily taking on unnecessary obstacles to make possible this activity of struggling.
1: Professor Nguyen says with every game, you have a goal, but what makes it a game is these arbitrary challenges that make achieving that goal more difficult. One example is a puzzle. TT,
0: you hate puzzles. I hate puzzles. The end goal is to be able to look at a complete picture. So, if we didn't want to make it a game, we could just buy the picture. Why don't we do that? That's
1: what I do. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's exactly what, do? what I do. <laughs> like, I'm just going to buy a nice picture. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the point is the obstacles in the picture is cut into a thousand tiny little pieces that we have to, well, not we, that you have to put together in order to see it. Here's another example.
2: So in basketball, the goal is to pass the ball through the hoop. But it's not just passing the ball through the hoop because if that was valuable, you would just go to a basketball court by yourself with a stepladder at midnight and just infinitely do it. It's not valuable unless it was done under certain constraints.
0: Yes, so adding an Mm -hmm. opposing team who's also trying to score, adding a clock, all of those things, those are additional obstacles that make it a game.
2: That must mean that... The value of the activity, whatever it is, has to lie in the character of the struggle and not just getting the stuff at the end.
1: Yes. Mm. The struggle is real and the struggle is fun, according to T. But that's not the only
0: value games have. Professor Nguyen says that we're also drawn to games because they give us something specific to focus on for a finite amount of time.
2: What games are for me are sculpted activities. The game designer is setting the goals and then giving you a set of abilities The amazing part of a game is that you know what you're doing and for a little bit of time, you just pay attention to that. When I'm rock climbing, I'm just paying attention to the rock. When I'm playing one of my absurd, stupid, complex German board games, I'm just paying attention to the economic status of my railway investments. It's so pure, it's so clear. For those of us that have trouble having moments of purity and focus because the world is like this, that's like vomiting on you all the time. That purity is magical. And it's also in games safe because games are temporary and set aside from the rest of the world. You can focus intensely because you're in a little artificial space that's going to end.
1: And in fact, a 2019 study talks about the psychological benefits of playing board games. It links playing them to a decrease in depression and an increase in healthy behavior modifications like healthier eating, quitting smoking and safe sex. And there are even more benefits to game playing.
0: Games create connection between people. In his book, Professor Nguyen actually argues that games are a special technique for communication.
2: One of the neat things about games is because they're such tight, constrained spaces that they create this weird intimacy. I mean, I think some of the most intimate I've been with another person's mind is playing chess against them. You're like in each other's mind. And that's possible because the goals are so narrow. And the space of possible moves is so narrow. And so because of that artificiality, you get both the pleasure of like clarity of action and purpose, and then the pleasure of like near telepathy, which I think you get in Wordle, right?
1: Wordle. Okay. If you don't know what Wordle is, I don't think you have access to technology or something. Like you have not been on the internet because Wordle has taken the world by storm. So it was created in October of 2021. And it gained the largest amount of its popularity in December of 2021. But people are still playing Wordle today. Yes. The premise is there is one word, just one word, a five-letter word each day. And you have to figure out what that word is. And with every guess, you get clues based on the letters that you chose. And then you get six tries. And your goal is to get the word before the six tries run out. Everyone is playing Wordle. If you've seen those green squares, yellow squares, that's what it is.
0: I remember posting Wordle on January 9th.
1: And I had no clue what Wordle was at that
0: point. I sent it to somebody and they sent a question mark back. And when I posted it on Instagram, yeah, a lot of people were saying they didn't know. And only maybe two or three people knew what Wordle was. They knew what my squares were.
1: Mm. Now there's so many new iterations. There's Wordle, there's Quirtle, there's Nurdle, there's Wordle, (laughs) there's Hurdle, so many different types. Mm
0: -hmm. Professor Nguyen actually wrote this Twitter thread about what made Wordle so successful, and that thread went viral.
1: He says when you first play Wordle, your first thought is, wait, you just guess? But slowly you realize you have more agency than you thought with clues about letter possibility and letter frequency of each word. So the experience is about discovering this power you didn't know you had and all the agency that comes with it.
0: But the social part of Wordle that Professor Nguyen talked about is what he says really sets it apart, specifically the graphic design of that shareable Wordle chart. I know, I know you have seen that in one of your feeds, if not on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You've seen it somewhere.
2: Because of the graphic design, you get to see someone else's agential journey, like in a second. I think actually the coolest thing about Wordle is you can look and you'd be like, oh, you were there, weren't you? And then you pulled it out. How long did it take you between line four and five? You can just see it.
0: And so once you get this definition of what a game is, Mm -hmm. like this end goal that would be completely possible and doable if you didn't have all these obstacles that are basically artificial in the way, right? Yeah. When you start thinking about that, you really realize that like we kind of grew up within the culture of games. Absolutely. I can remember playing Canasta after school with <laughs> <laughs> teachers of an after school program.
1: Yeah. In high school, we were playing bow, we were playing Uno, we were playing all types of card games.
0: And it really makes me think about video games and the portrayal of video gamers in like mainstream media. But if you were to ask most people, they probably wouldn't say they consider
1: themselves gamers. Right. But based on what we've learned from Professor Nguyen so far, we might all be gamers? Mm. Feels like it.
2: I think there's this weird, weird inattention to play in games. And despite the fact that it's one of the oldest, most central parts of human culture, from my perspective now, it seems totally weird that the history, at least, of Western European philosophy has spent so much time working on society, ethics, the meaning of life, what counts as a good life. And the shelf of stuff about games and play is almost non-existent. Like, how did we get to the point where we thought we could understand humanity without this stuff?
0: So, according to Professor T, not only are games a central part of human life, and not only is it possible that we're all really gamers, but he kind of proposes that games could actually be the meaning of life. Bernard too, to the end of
2: his book, has this funky argument that always pisses my students off, where he says... Imagine Utopia, where we've used technology to solve all our problems. What would we do all day? We'd either play games or be bored out of our minds. So games must be the purpose of life.
1: And Dr. Nguyen is not the first person to think about this in this way. It actually goes all the way back to Aristotle.
2: Aristotle thought that the value in human life was not the shit you made, but good quality activity. So another way to put it is the meaning of life must be an activity that is valuable in and of itself. The philosopher's term for this is autotelic activity, activity that's valuable not to get something else, but in doing itself. And I think he's is saying, what is the ultimate autotelic activity? It's f-ing games. That is the struggle that you choose for its own sake.
0: Well, if we accept this, that games are the meaning of life and, you know, it is the activity for activity's sake, then they must be pretty valuable, right? Like, if this is what we're all doing, if that's what the big picture is, how do we capture the value of games? And that's something Professor Nguyen talks about in his book, thinking of games as like an art form.
2: One of my suspicions is, until lately, it was much easier to sell a painting than to sell a game. If you think the painting is beautiful, you just buy the painting. But I think if you think what's beautiful in the game is your experience of doing it, that's not as transferable between people, right? That's something that's gonna vary from player to player.
1: What's cool about thinking about games as art is that it's art that we are active participants in. Looking at a painting isn't as active as playing a game.
2: There's this obsession with art objects that are stable, that is like the painting is the same for everyone, but true games are not stable because People are free during them. And the really remarkable thing about games is that you're free in games and what you do, it becomes beautiful in by date of an interaction between you and the design of the game. But that's not as easily saleable.
0: So what he's really saying is that games are art. Okay, and not even that basic stable art that y'all like to say you really love. (laughs) Games are a dynamic art that are unique in experience for each person, designed with your agency in mind. It's art that's created for players to move through and have their own interaction.
1: Mm.
2: For example, tabletop role playing like Dungeons and Dragons often gets denigrated as very aesthetically low. And if you re-describe it in a certain way, here's an activity where people who are largely passive and uh, who otherwise might be sitting around watching the shittiest Netflix show that repeats the same stories and not, you know, digesting it, are sitting together inventing new stories on the fly. And then somehow this becomes like... The lowest part of cult. like, I, like it's it's just weird, and like now I'm just looking for an explanation for why this stuff has been like excluded from being at the core of what we do.
1: This way of thinking is not something that I do often. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think like this. But now listening to Professor Nguyen, I'm like, life, life is a game. Life is games. Every part of life, you can look at it as a game.
0: Mm. I don't know, it feels like the short of it is, you thought it was one way, but it's another. Like, Like, you know, you're looking around and seeing game-like activity Mm -hmm. everywhere. It does make you start to ask some questions. Like, is everything a game? Was the Matrix for real?
2: (laughs) I don't think everything is a game. The Sutian definition is that games are voluntary. You have to choose to take them up. And so game-like systems that are forced on you, where you have to engage in them to survive... Systems where the points are associated with, I don't know, eating or having a good job, that doesn't have the kind of ideal structure I'm talking about where you freely choose a goal and a game for the joy of the struggle. It's unsurprising if you see game-like activity everywhere. I don't think that's because games are everywhere. I think it's because games are a crystallization of everyday activity. John Dewey, the great American philosopher, said that every art form was the crystallization of something we do in normal life, like painting is the crystallization of seeing, and fiction is the crystallization of telling each other the shit that happened in our day. And games are the crystallization of doing, the crystallization of action. And a lot of the times we play games because... Once in a while in life, we get to have beautiful, interesting, rich action, but most of the time in our life, the actions are crap.
0: All right. So whether your life right now is rich in action or feeling like it's full of crap, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we'll dive into game design, the gamification of everything from money to exercise to drinking water to flossing.
1: We're back, and before we dive back into games and the literal meaning of life, let's tee up next week's lab. It's
0: almost June, and that means it's Pride Month. Next week, we're going to be hearing from members of the LGBTQIA in STEM community. So be sure to check that lab out. You don't want to miss it.
1: Okay, back to talking about games with Professor T. Nguyen. We've been talking about what games are why we like playing them. Now let's talk about the people who are actually designing them. There's a lot of thought that goes into creating a good game, including thinking about a player's behavior when you're designing a game. You have to account for the freedom of the players and create space for them to have agency.
2: The things in the world that game design is the closest to is actually making governments and making cities. But these are sets of rules or constraints that transform people's actions inside them while still trying to leave them substantially free.
0: So aside from the actual design, the colors, what the interface is like, and the graphics look like, all of that, you're also thinking about how people might or might not engage with the game and all of the different scenarios that can happen from that.
1: There's also figuring out the goal of the game, So I have a single
2: favorite game designer. It's Reiner Knizia. He's the Mozart of German game design. He says, yeah. So the most important thing in my toolbox is the point system because the point system tells the players what to care about during the game. It
0: sets their desires. You literally just open up the rule book and it tells you what to desire and you just do it. This makes so much sense. Yes. If I download a game and I'm playing and I feel like I can't get enough points or Mm -hmm. I have to watch too many ads to... Mm -hmm get points or
1: I'm out. So one of the types of games that I like to have on my phone is like restaurant games. Mm -hmm. And I'll download a restaurant game. And if the point is to just make the food and that's how you get points, that's boring to me. I want customers to have a timer over their heads and you lose points if they've had to wait for longer than 15 minutes to order, longer than 20 minutes to get their food. Like I want those types of points. So I will decide based on how the points are given out, whether or not I'm going to engage with a game.
0: Because it's telling you what to value, right? You're like, I don't want to just value making the food. I want a more complex world. I want to have to consider emotions. I want to have to Mm -hmm. consider how much time is
1: taken for my customer. What does that say about me?
0: (laughs) Mm, No, I don't want
1: to get into all of that. (laughs) We'll skip over that. That's another episode. (laughs) I'll talk to my therapist about it.
2: (laughs) People will say things like, game designers tell stories or game designers create worlds. And I think that's actually underselling the issue. Game designers create alternate selves for you, which have alternate abilities, but specifically alternate desires. And the true heart of gameplay is manipulating the desires and the abilities and the obstacles in the environment so that together, action in that is likely to be awesome, beautiful, funny, thrilling, dramatic, even though you're free in that designed space. I mean, that, I think, is the true heart of game design.
0: So if games are the crystallization of everyday life, then the question I'm immediately asking is, do people typically gravitate towards games with goals and desires that are secretly like baked inside? You know, like, do you really want to be
1: a restaurant owner? (laughs) Do I really want to be a chef? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I hate cooking for myself. I'm just going to the kids' (laughs) house. I think a lot of
2: times games let you indulge or explore desire sets that you don't have at all. Like with literature, I think some people just like the literature where they recognize the character themselves, but a lot of us like literature because we get to explore completely different personas and styles. Since every game records a different kind of agency, you can explore totally wildly different agencies from yours in games, and you can just use them to explore what's it like to be a total Machiavellian? What's it like to be a perfect member of a team that is unlocked? You can explore all these different things through games.
1: we've talked all about games, let's get into the idea of the gamification of life. Like what you were talking about Zakia, earlier on with (laughs) your light bill and wanting to win in your neighborhood. But when we say gamification, okay, what do we
2: actually mean? It's any procedure where you take techniques from game design and you export them to ordinary life activities to make those more like a game in some way.
0: And we've talked about gamification in different capacities in a few different labs. Lab 49 when we talked about the habit equation and you know just filling out habit trackers, mm-hmm. Lab 40 money moves when we talked about some of the latest in fintech mm-hmm. and then even in lab 37 in denial
2: there's also an even bigger thing that I really care about that's kind of vaguely gamification, which is all these cases in which metrified systems and clear rankings get into our life and then suddenly like they just take over and we get really excited to get points by whatever point systems that is, which includes grade point average and citation rates and clicks and all the other stuff by which our achievements are measured, ranked and immediately fed back to us as evaluations of how successful we are as human beings.
0: Yes, that's what your light bill is doing. Even in your car, all of these little readouts everywhere.
1: Yeah. Even like on your phone, every new update, I feel like it's more gamification where it's like, oh, how much screen time did you have? Mm -hmm. And just making you aware of these numbers, like the awareness of the numbers, I feel like innately we start to evaluate ourselves and say, maybe I should do less. And then you compare yourself, you know, week to week. Or like we were talking about earlier with the Apple Watch, Mm -hmm. where that gamifies your exercise. So on an Apple Watch... It tracks your heart rate, it lets you check your text messages, it lets you check your email, but it also is recording your steps. It'll record if you exercise and based on your settings, you can say, oh, I wanna take, you know, a thousand steps in a day. And if you get to those thousand steps, it closes that ring. And if you say, I wanna do 30 minutes of exercise every day, once you hit 30 minutes of what your Apple Watch sees as exercise, it closes that ring. And so each day you can see how much of your ring you completed and if you closed it or not. So it's kind of a thing where you can look back over the week, over the month, over the last year and see how many times you closed your rings. And so, you know, we talked about it in the habits episode where maybe that might not be such a good thing for some people because it's not a really great motivator. But for others, you know, the gamification of their health and wellness works.
0: So when we say gamification, it sounds like we are pulling some elements of games but is it technically a game? Because I am struggling to become number one,
1: okay? (laughs) It is hard to keep
0: my electric useful. (laughs)
1: Oh my goodness.
2: There are a lot of differences, but one of the key differences for me is that in a true game, the points are something that you know is just there to get you through an interesting struggle. And in gamifications, the points are somehow this sick motivation to get you to do something that you detest and find miserable or awful.
0: Another point to think about where we've talked about gamification in the past, Mm. and it's kind of the maybe not-so-positive version that Professor Nguyen is talking about is in the Add to Cart episode where Christopher Mims told us about what they call scientific management, where they were going through and looking at productivity, Mm -hmm. right? We're still seeing that, the gamification, like, keep your mouth moving, or are you still there? Such a good point. We're seeing it of work. That's something I detest. (laughs) Okay?
1: And you're trying to make me do it with stars. (laughs) This performance evaluation at the end of the year. Keep it. You can have it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Another big difference between games and gamification is that a game has a pure set of goals that you're trying to achieve within a finite amount of time. Whereas this gamification, like, hey, did you go to work five days in a row? Get two hours off in the next two-week block. It's infinite and sprawling.
2: And I think that is the major difference between games and gamifications. Games end, and then you step back from those narrow goals. Gamification don't end, you're in them forever. And those goals often aren't secluded, but set over something like tweeting.
1: Yeah, I mean, the gamification of social media, likes, retweets, reposts, shares, all of that is gamification. And lots of people- Feel bound by those shares, likes, and all those things like that. And so, what Professor Nguyen is saying makes so much sense because social media is so much a part of our day to day lives. And a lot of people don't feel like they can take a break from that. And so, they're constantly participating in these games that aren't games that are the good type of games.
0: Mm. Time that artificial value. Mm-hmm. Professor Nguyen has done some extensive writing around Twitter, including a paper called How Twitter Gamifies Communication, where he proposes Twitter's use of artificial goals, such as likes, follows and retweets, are not necessarily increasing our motivation to actually communicate with each other, but more so just the score points.
1: Right. So folks are just more so trying to be viral than trying to say something that actually has meaning.
0: Think about
2: all the rich values that you might have in communication. Twitter doesn't measure those. Twitter measures likes, retweets, and follows, which are basically a popularity measure. And the reason is partially because at institutional mass scale, we don't have the technology to measure empathy, understanding, transformation. What we have is the ability to measure likes. Similarly, Fitbit can't measure whether you're at peace through the exercise or whether it's aesthetic fulfillment, it measures steps.
1: So it really feels like gamification is everywhere. Why is it so pervasive in modern culture? Why are we so different from the cavemen?
0: Mm, They probably were keeping scores. They had to. When did they go from a bunch (laughs) of lines to four and then a diagonal line?
2: I think a lot of the other reasons aren't overt gamifications. A lot of them have to do with the need for processing information at large scale. And a lot of the things that now look like metrics that gamify our lives start their lives as attempts to keep track of and monitor complex situations, often for really good reasons.
0: An example Professor Nguyen gives here is diversity and inclusion initiatives, which he's been involved in. And he says they try to address this huge problem of a lack of diversity by starting with simple metrics, counting the number of women, people of color, et cetera, and corporations, and how having a simplified quota can actually hurt those efforts.
2: My intellectual obsession is why we respond so intensely to the presence of rankings and points. And the negative side of it is we can capture whole institutions and people and get them to do exactly what we want by tying it to our ranking system and just putting that ranking system everywhere. But we love this. It's like really, really well-documented, the degree to which we as human beings just instantly respond and orient around any available, clarified ranking, even when we know in our hearts that ranking doesn't track what really matters.
0: And so we really have to ask, like, is this gamification of everything, is it a good thing, you know? Mm. Like, there are some places where it feels good to have it Mm -hmm. in your life. I think that's good for me. I see those rings closing. Yeah. But for some people, it is daunting Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, I have to close this entire ring today. Right, right. You know? Mm -hmm. And the other part is sometimes the ring is not even the right metric. It's like, do I feel strong today? Do I feel good today?
1: Right. You might've worked out really hard the day before. And so today might be a rest day and your Apple Watch telling you, hey, get up. And you're like, nah. Yes. I crushed it yesterday.
2: (laughs) Notice that part of what makes games so sexy is that they are brief moments where you know exactly what you're doing because there's this artificially clear point system, which is pleasurable precisely because it's clearer than the nauseating complexity of ordinary life.
0: A word. Hmm. What are we doing here? Why is it so complex? Why isn't it clear? And
1: where are the rings? Yeah. Imagine. Imagine as if you you move through life.
0: (laughs) Oh, there's some rings over there. I better go that way.
1: All right. (laughs) Like, just tell me which way to go. I'm Sonic. I'm just out here looking for rings. Mm. So a
2: lot of the gamifications, I think, are offering you this trade where they're like, hey, you can have the pleasure of a game in ordinary life. All you need to do is take a real world activity and orient your motivations around a simple, pre-produced, technologically embedded point
0: system. And then you'll get thrills. Ooh, it doesn't sound so fun when he breaks it down like that. <laughs> I'm still trying to be number one, though. My energy use is going low, low,
1: low, low. <laughs> All right, it's time for one thing. And this week's one thing is special because of this episode. We're going to talk about our favorite game right now.
0: Okay, so one of them is a crossword book. That's my analog game. (laughs) My analog game (laughs) is my crossword (laughs) puzzle. (laughs) But I think my one game right now that I'm really enjoying is Farming Simulator 2019. If you want to upgrade me, I'll give you my, you know... (laughs) (laughs) I'll <laughs> give me my Xbox name. But right now, I am really enjoying playing that game. I'm learning about a lot of farming equipment. I have a lot of respect for people that are driving big equipment on mm. regular roads. I'm crashing a lot. <laughs> I'm doing contract work on other farms. I'm spreading lime. I'm doing all kinds of stuff that I didn't even know I needed to do to maintain the health of my farm. Mm, what's your favorite crop? Right now it's soybeans and they were selling high. Oh, you got to sell it too? You can sell it. You oh can, my there's goodness. a lot of stuff in there. You can lease equipment. I'm learning about all these different manufacturers. So much stuff. It's really cool. What's your favorite game?
1: My favorite game is a game that I started playing during the pandemic. It's a board game. So mm-hmm. me and Jimmy have played this game a number of times. It is called Pandemic. Oh. It sounds insensitive, but this game was created a while ago. I heard about it from someone else and I was like, okay, this might be a really interesting game to play. Give us some perspective because this was early 2020. You know, we didn't really know much. And you see the entire world and it has these city centers. You draw cards to figure out what your job is. Mm -hmm. And depending on your job, you can make specific moves. So there's a pandemic, but you're trying to control outbreaks. Okay. And so... You're going to different countries, dropping off medicine and vaccines.
0: Oh, so you're doing aid work? Yes. <laughs> you're doing yes. it all in this game.
1: If you're a reporter, then you have the ability to inform people about what's going on. It's very involved. And we've been playing it with just two people, but you can play two to four players. Okay. It is a lot of fun. It takes time because you have to really strategize with your team to figure out how to stop this pandemic and we've lost so many times and it is always heartbreaking you lose as a team you lose as a team the whole mm. thing is team based so if one loses we all losing and so it is drama this is a filled lot. very drama filled but it's a really great game that makes you think a lot
0: <laughs> it sounds like it That's it for Lab 65 and we wanna hear from you. Do you consider yourself a gamer? If you do, what games do you play? What type of games do you play? Are you playing games on your phone? Are you gonna delete all your game apps after this? Call us at 202-567-7028 and tell us what you thought. Also, you can give us an idea for a lab you think we should do this semester too. Don't forget, you can text or call us at 202-567-7028.
1: And don't forget that there is so much more to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet for today's lab, additional links and resources in the show notes. Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. Check it out at DopeLabsPodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, C.T. Nguyen.
0: You can find or follow him on Twitter at ADD underscore H-A-W-K. Or you can read more of his work in his book, Games, Agency as Art.
1: And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DopeLabsPodcast.
0: TT's on Twitter and Instagram
1: at dr underscore T-S-H-O. And you can find Zakia at Z Said So. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Mega Ohm Media Group. Our producers
0: are Jenny Radalit-Mast and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios.
1: Our associate producer from Mega Om Media is
0: Brianna Garrett.
1: Editing and sound design by Rob Smirciak. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. From Spotify, executive producer Corinne Gilliard and creative producer Miguel Contreras. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos,
0: Jess Borison, Yasmin Afifi, Kamu Ilolia, Till Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega O Media Group are us, Titi Shodia and Zakia Watley. And some people are still playing games, even as adults. And they're not playing the right ones. (laughs) All right? So, you know, another thing...